0: Hi, welcome to the third episode of my podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, If you haven't tuned in before, uh, I'm Cass. I'm a comic artist who writes a lot of stuff about travel, among other subjects. Um, I have a book out with Avery Hill, which is about traveling in Mexico. And this podcast is readings of a travel journal um, of me crossing Central America when I was about 25, which was the second half of the trip that I wrote about in my book, Follow Me In. This episode is mostly going to cover a quite extreme hike I did in northern Guatemala to the El Mirador archaeological site. Um, Five days of quite intense walking in the jungle. So here we go. In places the path was wide and in others it was narrow so that we brushed against plants on either side. The ground was dried up mud, in places rutted with hundreds of hoof marks which made it quite hard to walk on without twisting your ankle. We moved very fast and there was hardly any time to look around as we had to watch where we were putting our feet. After a couple of hours we came to a big pile of vegetation. Sprigs of leaves had been placed into a pile and Henry gave us each a sprig and told us to add them to the heap. Apparently a man had died there, killed by his friend in a dispute over a girl. After a while we emerged into a clearing where there were some rough shelters made of sticks and palm fronds. We tied up the mule and waited for Hilario and Luis who were bringing our sandwiches. Henry told us about the chicle workers who lived part of every year in these encampments while they collected chicle gum from the trees. Um, That's made into uh, chewing gum. We saw several trees with the crisscross cuttings in them. Then it began to rain. We ducked under one of the palapas, which was only just big enough to crouch under, and it passed quite quickly. Richard went for a wonder and came back reporting that there was a jawbone on the ground. When we looked, it was huge, a horse's jaw, and there were various other bones scattered around too. Then the mule train arrived and we had ham and cheese, sandwiches and slices of pineapple. Hilario and Luis's first appearance was very dramatic. Hilario rode in with a shotgun on his back. Luis was at the end of the train, bare chested with a red necktie around his neck. After eating we continued with the hike. We had one more break that day before reaching camp in a clearing where I suddenly realised we were all standing in the middle of an army ant swarm. Suddenly everyone was jumping and slapping their legs where the ants were biting them under their trousers. Richard was covered in so many that Henry took him off behind a tree to remove his trousers. Then, after we were done evicting ants, we had a fruit juice and biscuits. After a total of twenty-five k over about six hours, we reached our camp for the night. I had finally submitted to sit on the mule, and I—I th- I must have been <laughs> reluctant. Um, I guess because I, yeah, I was. I'd, I'd never ridden a horse or anything before. Um, to my concern, it had decided to trot on ahead as soon as I got on it, quite fast. I soon could no longer hear or see the rest of the group and became a bit scared. I knew if he got too concerned, Henry would probably run on and find me, but it was still a bit unnerving to be totally alone in the jungle. And I wasn't sure how to make the mule stop. Pulling on the reins just seemed to annoy it. I later found out I was pulling them too gently, and there, there's a command of shh that makes it stop. I assumed the mule was running on quickly because we were near the camp and it wanted to catch up with its friends and have a rest. But it had gone the wrong way several times earlier in the day, so I wasn't entirely confident. Then finally I heard footsteps and Henry came jogging up. We were five minutes from the camp and my mule gave a half whinny, half bray of relief. We emerged into a large camp with much more sophisticated structures than the last one. They were all of sticks and thatch, but there were several shelters for hammocks and two kitchen areas with fire, cooking surface, table and benches all made of sticks. The rest of our mules were already unloaded and rolling their sore backs on the grass. Ilario had made a fire and we all had a cup of hot chocolate. To our surprise, a little dog trotted happily out of the jungle and came to say hello. Henry explained that there were a couple of workers living in the forest nearby. We'd intended to visit some nearby ruins that evening, but all the drama with the fallen tree had meant a very late start and it was already almost dark. We could see it on the return trip. It began raining again, and Henry and Hilario made a hanging plastic sheet to collect the water. It became known as the Piscina. (laughs) Swimming pool. Meanwhile, Stefan made the unpleasant discovery that he was absolutely covered in ticks on his arms, legs, and outside, as well as inside his clothes. Henry told him to brush smoking palm fronds all over himself to drive them away, but he still had to spend an hour removing them from his skin with tweezers. He found about 30 It would become a running joke of the trip. The ticks were inexplicably drawn to him rather than anybody else and we decided that he was creating a tick ranch on his body in order to cultivate them. (laughs) As dinner was cooking, Hilario and Luis went off into the woods to try and bag a wild turkey. We heard a shot and then Hilario returned alone, getting hysterical with tiredness. (laughs) We decided between us that Hilario had just shot his son in the forest. Eventually we were laughing so hard that Henry and Hilario wanted to know what was up. We told them and Henry laughingly said something about a sacrifice before explaining that Luis was visiting one of the nearby workers. Sure enough, he returned with a freshly killed turkey in his hands. It would be our dinner the next evening. While we ate our chicken and tortillas, Luis and Henry went around hanging hammocks and arranging mosquito nets. We were never permitted to join in with any of the work around camp. No chingar conmigo, said Henry. That means (laughs) don't fuck with me. Lisa and Erwan had a tent with them, and because Lisa wanted to sleep in a hammock, Richard and I spent the first night in the tent. It turned out to be the most comfortable night of all, and we slept right through until 5am when our alarm went off. Day two began with everyone standing blearily around in the dark, drinking coffee. We had a breakfast of granola and milk, and watched Henry, Ilario and Luis going about the business of packing the sacks, which were then strapped onto the mules. When it was almost done, our party set out again, leaving Hilario and Luis to follow again. We started out around 7.30am for a 35km hike to the El Mirador site. We passed through an area of really beautiful palms, which was the luscious, most exotic-looking part of the jungle. The rest was very dry, although it was dense, but it was nothing like the jungle around Tikal, for example. It probably became that lush in the wet season. We spotted the odd spider monkey group in the trees and tarantula nests, which were thick tunnels of wire leading into sinister-looking black holes in the centre. While riding the mule gave us a good opportunity to look around, you also had to be careful as there were occasional low branches crossing the path and it was necessary to duck underneath. Lisa was one of the first to fall victim to one of these. None of us knew that to pass underneath them, you had to lean forwards in advance and not lean back. So her mule passed under a low branch and she leant back and rolled right off the back of the mule onto the ground. (laughs) Everyone leapt to her aid, but she was fine. Later on, Stefan had the same problem except in slow motion the horses were forever stopping to chew on vegetation at the sides of the path. When Stefan's mule did this, he wasn't unduly worried until it started to edge under a low branch that he was too close to duck underneath. Mules never go backwards unless you pull them very hard, so it continued to push itself under the branch, and Stefan was being slowly inched towards its rear. Wondering what to do, he decided to grab a higher branch and try and swing on it and jump down behind the mule. The branch broke, and the rest of the group rounded the corner to see him sprawled at the mule's feet as it casually chewed on some leaves. Lisa shook his hand, delighted to not be the only one to have fallen. When we broke for lunch, we encountered another tour group on their way back. They sat down opposite us and began to eat, and we all eyed each other. For a while, no one spoke, but eventually Martin discovered that they were nearly all Dutch, so there was a bit of conversation. One of the party, there was a really annoying American lady with a very high-pitched voice. We were all relieved we didn't have her in our group. When Henry handed around chocolate-covered wafers to us, she went to her muleteer to ask for biscuits, and then actually patted the poor guy on the head. There was almost an audible gasp, as we couldn't believe it. There, she said triumphantly as she sat down again, they can keep their chocolate biscuits. After this pleasant lunch, we continued with our arduous trek, taking it in turns to ride the mule. Eventually, after passing several ancient Mayan tombs in the ground, we came to a small ruin. It was late in the afternoon and we were quite tired, but it was quite exciting to see some ruins. There was a small pyramid and a building with a tunnel which had wooden scaffolding all over it. We paused for a bit while some people explored the tunnel with a torch. The rest of us watched a group of spider monkeys swinging through the trees right overhead. It was a big group and one of them came to look down at us. It seemed very angry that we should be there and performed a little dance of rage, snapping off twigs and breaking them into little pieces and shaking the branches. There was an archaeologist's camp by the ruins with a bench and a table made of sticks. It was strange to imagine working there in the middle of nowhere with just the monkeys for company. The site was very close to El Mirador itself, so we continued quickly on and at length came to a large clearing with a sign that this was the entrance to the site. There was a little shack where the caretaker lived and a couple of workers standing around who welcomed us to El Mirador. We were there, finally. Hilario and Luis had already started to set up camp at a small campsite in the clearing. The big campsite was apparently alive with fleas. (laughs) But our work wasn't quite over. As Hilario supervised the cooking of our dinner, Henry took us to climb the El Tigre pyramid to watch the sunset. El Tigre is one of the largest Mayan pyramids ever found, over 60 metres high with a base of 1,800 square metres. We gasped and panted our way up its overgrown sides where little wooden steps had been put in to facilitate ascent but the view from the top was well worth it. The land was flat and covered in forest canopy for as far as the eye could see in every direction. We had a 360 degree view where there was not a single building or road visible anywhere. The only thing we could see were the little lumps formed by other hidden pyramids, some near, parts of El Mir- some near and part of El Mirador, some far off on the horizon like Knack Bay. We took group photos and waited with a middle-aged American couple who were there to see the sunset. It was a romantic way to celebrate our arrival marred only by another ant attack, which affected me the worst as I'd changed into a pair of Henry sandals due to blisters on my feet. When the sun had gone down, we descended by the final rays and went back to the campsite for dinner. We had turkey and vegetable soup and it was delicious. Then Henry revealed his special treat for us, a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label, which he gazed at in its box with admiration and handled with great care. So we all sat around in the darkness and drank a glass of Johnny Walker by candlelight. The caretakers and a few other workers came over and sat around the fire and told us about the site and the national park surrounding it. Apparently archaeologists could only get six-month periods in which to work on the site at the moment, but there was talk of constructing a road through the area in the future. Oh, that's what I was wondering about in the last episode, whether it would still be the case that you can only reach El Mirador by a foot or whether by now there would be a road. So I've probably answered my own question there. We were glad to have seen the site relatively untouched before it was turned into another teacal or a palenque. As we talked, big crickets jumped around the table, confused by the candles. One jumped into my thankfully empty cup, causing Henry to exclaim, Beef whiskey! Watch out for beef! (laughs) After a nice evening, we all retired to our hammocks to sleep, but I had a nasty surprise waiting for me. I turned out to be extremely allergic to something in the hammock. Almost as soon as I got into it, I began to wheeze and cough. Everyone else went to bed but my breathing became more and more of a problem until I finally got out of the hammock and sat outside. My lungs were a mess of rattles and whirs and I really couldn't breathe at all. I waited until it had calmed down a bit, sat there for half an hour and then finally tiredness necessitated that I try again. I still had problems but I had no choice except to lie there and try to relax until I could sleep. Everyone woke up very cold. I heard Henry and Alaria making coffee, and then Richard got up, even though it was only about 5am, so that he could stand by the fire. I was about to do the same when Richard appeared under my mosquito net with a sleeping bag. Apparently Henry had instructed him to give it to me. I'd been planning to get up anyway, but stayed in the hammock a little longer, politely enjoying the warmth of the sleeping bag. My lungs were still irritated, but only slightly. Then others began to get up, and I joined them. We shivered over coffee while Henry cooked up pancakes for breakfast. After eating we set out to explore the site at what Henry promised would be a leisurely pace. I suspect (laughs) from my tone there that that might not be the case. First we saw the jaguar pore, the only extensively excavated part of the site where a well-preserved stucco jaguar paw could be seen on one side of a stucco staircase. I've got a drawing of that. Um, If you follow me on social media I'm going to include some drawings that I did on the course of this trip uh, with each episode that I post about on social media and also some photos which I've not really shared much um, some of these photos before so if you're interested have a look on my Instagram or Twitter. A scaffolding structure had been erected around the whole building with a plastic roof to protect it from the elements. A sheet of tarpaulin covered the claw. Then we saw a couple of carved stones, one showing an eagle swooping down and picking up a snake in its beak by a waterfall. We passed various other archaeologists' campsites, one with a big structure made of wood and plastic sheets for collecting rainwater. At one point we found a group of howler monkeys, but they refused to howl. Henry tried everything from shaking the trees to banging his machete against a tree to howling himself. Martin, who had wanted to get a recording of howler monkeys, recorded Henry instead and later played it back to us at the campsite. We saw various other ruined and overgrown structures, including one buttressed by several wooden scaffolds. Henry also pointed out various plants along the way, copal, giant strangler figs, a plant which clots the blood and helps to counteract snake bites, a plant that's exported in large quantities to the western world as a flower arrangement filler, and pimienta from which you can make a good tea. We requested the tea for later and Henry collected enough for us to all try it. We returned to the camp for lunch and everyone swung in their hammocks tired. After lunch everyone had a nap but I went off to draw the jaguar claw. It was kind of creepy being alone again, but Richard came to visit me. And then after 45 more minutes, he came back again and announced that everyone was going off on another expedition to what was known as the Monkey Pyramid. I rejoined the group and we went to see the second pyramid. It had very steep sides and at the top there was a rope dangling down the steps to help people climb the last little bit. We hauled ourselves up and sat atop the Monkey Pyramid for a while chatting. Stefan spotted some howler monkeys far below us. It was odd to be looking down on them. Then on the way back down we all posed clutching the rope for photos. Our final visit of the day was the highest point of El Mirador, the Tapia Pyramid, which is actually smaller than El Tigre but is built on a hill. Luis accompanied us on this expedition and he and Richard found hundreds of pottery shards on top of the pyramid, some of them even fitted together. When we looked, we realised that broken pottery was lying everywhere in the woods, in the campsite, everywhere. It was weird after seeing all the major tourist attraction sites to see one in such an untouched state. We watched another sunset, then returned to camp for dinner and a cup of pimienta tea. The site's caretakers brought us a clipboard with the only major available article about El Mirador, National Geographic article from 1987. We had an early night and I again had an asthmatic reaction to my hammock, but managed to stay in it, trying to slow down my breathing and hypnotise myself to sleep. After breakfast on day four, the caretaker took us to see his collection of finds from the site. He had several large plates, ritually damaged with a hole in the middle. There were some incense burners and some really lovely clay pots with sculptured faces on them and and nice patina finishes. These were all pieces he told us that the archaeologists didn't want, so he kept them in a box under his bed. He spoke about them with great pride... As we were leaving the site for our journey back, two other visitors arrived. They'd apparently found their way from the nearest settlement without a guide, so they must have been before. The fourth day was fairly uneventful. We retraced our steps to the campsite of day one. There were two more tourists camping there too, a French couple and their guide. We introduced ourselves to them atop the pyramid we hadn't managed to see the first time around. We saw another sunset, ate another dinner and made plans to try and get up for the sunrise in the morning. Noting my breathing problems and cough, Henry arranged for me and Richard to sleep in the tent again for the final night. Unfortunately, this didn't help the animal hair or whatever it was that was irritating me. was by now all over the sheets as well, and I was glad as I lay wheezing that it was my last night in the jungle. We struggled up the pyramid again in the morning to watch the sunrise, but there was so much cloud that there wasn't very much to be seen. In the morning after breakfast, Henry and Stefan inspected my blisters. I had a big one on each heel and a small one on the little toe of my left foot. They decided to pop them and squeeze out the water, which they did with a thorn, and then Stefan bandaged my feet with second skin sticky plaster, which he was uh, familiar with from his military time. Unfortunately, although this operation made my blisters heal up quite quickly, it also made them incredibly painful to walk on for that final day. Each step was like stepping down on a bed of nails. I managed for a little while and then rode the mule for a bit, although by now the mule was making my backside really sore as well. At this point we had two mules with us, and everyone again took it in turns. By now there were fewer complaints when people had to get on the mule, as everyone was so tired. After another attempt at walking for an hour or so, I finally got on one of the mules and rode it all the way back to Carmelita. My backside was really sore, and when we finally got back to Flores, Elizabeth and I both discovered that we had sores on our backsides like a burst blister. Yeah, just, I remember that, the pain of that raw skin on your feet and also raw skin on your bum, which meant that even if you decided to try and sit on the mule, it was not a less painful option. When we got to Carmelita, Henry's driver was very late. Everyone sat around picking off ticks with tweezers and generally trying to relax. We played with three kids who kept climbing in Henry's trailer. One of them was Elario's other son and he looked exactly like a miniature version of Elario. The mules were unloaded and it was nice to see them rolling in the grass. Henry became a bit annoyed with his friend. His wife had chicken and rice at home for us to eat, but it was getting later and later. Eventually Henry arranged for a local family to feed us. We had coffee and a rather unappetizing bowl of very watery frijoles. The house we ate in was decorated on every wall with pages from newspapers, mostly showing models in bikinis. The old man of the house brought us a ragged magazine that had an article on Knack Bay. That's another archaeological site. It featured a photo of himself in earlier days holding up a pottery vase. Finally, the driver showed up and we all piled into the truck for the drive to Flores. We were all nodding off. The journey seemed to take forever. We saw one final remnant of the jungle, a big Barba Amaria on the road. That's the Fer de lance snake. Back at Henry's house, the unloading began and we ate the very nice chicken and rice that his wife had prepared. We watched a nature programme on Henry's TV, delighted to be back in civilization. The long-eared dog ran around us again and Henry's two little children hugged him with delight. Finally, he took us to Flores for the treat we were all waiting for, a shower. We all checked into the same hotel and enjoyed our first shower in five days. In the privacy of our own rooms, we also checked for any remaining ticks which might have been hiding. I really, really remember the experience of that shower. It was um, an absolute joy. I think I'll end it there for this episode. Tune in next week for the story of a journey through a lot of small towns, quite out-of-the-way towns. some swimming holes in the mountains, a very high altitude mountain town where I wasn't very well. Um, and then on to Lake Atitlan, which is a very famous, very beautiful lake in Guatemala. As before, um, you can find links to all my stuff at my website, katrinachatman.com, Katrina with a K and an O. I've got social media where I'm sharing photos and sketches to go along with each of these episodes. Um, I also have a Patreon and a shop where you can buy my book, Follow Me In. You can also buy that from AveryhillPublishing.com as well. And also my zines where I have lots of travel writing. I think there are two issues of my zine, zine that have some uh, short comic stories that also cover some of these same experiences. And if you're interested in checking those out, I think it's issue two and the Guatemala issue of Cat Scene. They both cover the El Mirador jungle trek story.